Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Super good to be with you this morning. Let me invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and find your place in the New Testament book of Hebrews. We're going to continue this verse-by-verse study in Hebrews. We're going to land in Hebrews 7. Already heard Paul talk about it this morning. We are coming to really what is one of the high water marks in our study of Hebrews at the end of chapter 7 this morning. So go ahead and find your place there. I just want to remind you, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're new, maybe you're visiting, just kind of finding your way around. We're going verse by verse through this great book. This book of Hebrews was written to first century Jewish community with really one ultimate theme. And that theme is the absolute superiority of Jesus Christ in all things. It's written that way. The book of Hebrews has a, has a unique place in the canon of our Bible to link the Old Testament promises and the Old Testament pictures and to then link those to the person of Jesus Christ. So we say over and over, we're reading and studying through Hebrews with our Old Testaments open. We're reading through this, so you have a reading plan. If you haven't jumped into that, encourage you to do that. You would have been reading in the Psalms this week as we look to the Old Testament, and Hebrews helps us link that and point that to the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, the author in this section that we begin, or the section we're in, is now weaving a lot of threads together about the person of who Jesus is. And, and we're seeing some of these things begin to come together. Remember, we talked about that Jesus is the ultimate revelation. We've talked about through Hebrews that Jesus is the better rest. We've seen that the author wants us to know that he, Jesus, is the better and ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, as we've been talking about for several weeks. This idea that's a little bit foreign to us as a Gentile or, or in, in this day, this idea of a high priest. But Jesus is the better high priest. And because he is the better high priest, we now come to this section and the author is linking that to the reality that we now have a new covenant. That Jesus is the mediator and the keeper of something called a better or a new covenant. Now, Pastor Daniel talked about this last week. We begin this section of the idea that because Jesus is who he is and has accomplished what he has accomplished, we now, we now enter into this thing called a new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, let me just kind of set up what we're going to be looking at this morning again as we talk about this idea of covenant for the next several weeks together. Let me just set up this idea of covenant a little bit more this way this morning and tell you about something that happened to our family a couple weeks ago. Some of you know about this. I, I just want to share it quickly. But two weeks ago, a glorious event took place in our family. Uh, our son, Joseph, celebrated his wedding and his marriage to his sweet fiancée, Lydia McNabb. My son and his fiancée were married. And it was a glorious day. And as a dad, I could just wax odd about the glories of that day. And don't worry, I ask their permission to use this as an illustration. But it was a glorious day of watching this thing of a, of a marriage begin. There were witnesses there, and there were family members there, and bridesmaids, and groomsmen, and tears. And I assure you, they were tears of joy, and there was food, and there was dancing. And you say, 
Pastor Mike, can Jesus' followers dance? Well, some can, some can't, as you learn. And you also find out the ones that can't are strongly encouraged by their wife to maybe take a seat and watch everyone else who can dance is the wiser course of action. And I'm just telling you, it was a glorious day watching the beginning of this thing called a marriage. And on that day, Joseph and Lydia exchanged vows with one another. They exchanged vows in the presence of witnesses. And with these vows, they entered into what we call a marriage covenant. Not a marriage contract, but a marriage covenant. And with these vows and with these promises, here's what, that, here's what began on that day. Is they gave definition, they established the terms of their marriage relationship. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. Marriage is not a contract. It's a 50-50 agreement. It's, it's the joining of two lives who are fully committed to one another. It's not based on performance. It's based on unconditional love. It's not based on, it's not dependent upon changing circumstances. The marriage covenant is until death. This unique thing that God has given, this marriage covenant, is a glorious thing. And I assure you, as a dad, it was a glorious thing to watch and see begin and now see lived out in the lives of Joseph and Lydia. But let me tell you something. As we come to Hebrews chapter 7 and 8, and as we talk about this over the next few weeks, as glorious as the marriage covenant is, the author of Hebrews is holding out and declaring, listen, the glory and the beauty and the grace that is this thing called the new covenant between God and man that is established in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a glorious thing. And this new covenant in Christ, the author of Hebrews says, is better than the old covenant. He says this new covenant in Christ establishes the terms and the nature of our relationship with God through our great high priest, Jesus, who is the mediator or the keeper or the guarantor of this new covenant. It is a glorious reality. And we've been circling. We began last week. We're going to continue to circle on this. So I'm going to bring you back. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter and continue to look at this glorious thing called the new covenant that is in Christ. Because we have a better high priest, we have a better covenant in Jesus Christ. Verse 21, you guys ready? That was like one of you. Okay, you all ready? Verse 21. But this one, speaking of Jesus, was made a high priest by an oath by the one who said to him, now, the author of Hebrews is using a passage out of the Psalms over and over and over. Man, he's milking this verse for everything. Psalm 110, he goes back to this promise made by God and says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking of Jesus, are a priest forever. Hold on to that. He's saying Jesus is a better high priest. His work of serving as a mediator and an intercessor between God and man is infinitely greater than all the priests in the Old Testament that came before him. 
Jesus is a better high priest. His ministry as a high priest is eternal. His ministry as a high priest is infinitely better. Therefore, verse 22, this reality of who Jesus is makes Jesus the guarantor, talked about that word last week a little bit, of a better covenant. I know that's lofty language, but what does that mean? A guarantor is one, he's a, he's a keeper. He's the one who assures the success of this covenant, of this terms of our relationship with God are now assured by the person and work of Jesus as our great high priest. Everything necessary to begin, sustain, and preserve this covenant relationship is guaranteed by Jesus. That's an, that's an amen moment because the author of Hebrews wants you to get this. He's going to repeat it over and over again. The new covenant is glorious because everything necessary to begin a relationship with God, sustain a relationship with God, and carry you all the way home to the uttermost is, is guaranteed by Jesus himself. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Jesus is the guarantor or the keeper of this better covenant between God and his people. Then in verse 23, he's going to compare the old covenant with the former priests. He says, the former priests, they were many in number. You know, the long list of high priests through the Old Testament all the way up to the New Testament. He says there were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They all died. Verse 24, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he, Jesus, continues forever. The nature of his priesthood is qualitatively different. Therefore, he is able to be the guarantor of this covenant. Verse 25. Consequently, and this is one of the high watermarks in Hebrews, it says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save, to deliver, to secure, to keep, to perfect, to carry to glory. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Always. Not a moment in the life of a Jesus follower who is trusting Christ that Jesus is not actively before the throne of the Father making intercession for you. It's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting, necessary, that we should have such a high priest. And then he goes into these descriptors again of the character of our high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, he, Jesus, has no need like those high priests of old to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law 
God's law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, that promise above God, that was after the law pointing to Jesus, which came after the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Here's the big truth we're going to chase this morning. We're going to try to unpack this as best we can and make some application to our life this morning. It's this. The big truth is this, is Jesus is able to save forever. Jesus is able to save forever. Now let me back up just a minute and just remind you again of some context. And then we're going to try to pull some big ideas, some applications out of this passage you just read. Remember, Hebrews is written to a Jewish community. Hence, as we read Hebrews, and we've been walking through Hebrews, and we've been studying some concepts, it takes a little bit of work on our part to study a little bit more and to give a little more attention because there's things that may not be quite as common to us. The idea of the priesthood. The idea of our relationship with God being defined as a covenant. We may not think that way as much. But the, the author of Hebrews, remember, is writing to a Jewish community. And, and the idea of a covenant is very familiar to them. Imagine a lot of these hearers that are hearing this letter. And they're now living on the other side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And Hebrews is written to bridge the old and the new to Jesus. And they've been brought up. And they've been brought up with the law of God. And they've had the understanding that God's law is good and perfect, which it is. And that law establishes the terms of the covenant relationship with God. And they've been taught that their whole life. And maybe some of these have grown up and they've gone to the temple with their dad. And they've seen at the temple the high priest do his service of offering a sacrifice on their behalf over and over. And they realize the terms of their relationship with God. There must be a sacrifice and there must be a high priest because I'm separated from God. And they've seen this their whole lives. The writer of Hebrews is coming now and he's writing to this group of people and he's saying the law of God was not wrong. It was just unable to save you. And he says the, the priests of the past, they were not wrong and they were not evil and they were just temporary. And they were a picture of a better high priest who was coming. And one of the reasons, you know, I struggle with this, and I know you struggle with this, the author of Hebrews just seems to wind and repeat himself over and over. And some of these concepts, you say, is he talking about Melchizedek again? Is he talking about the high priest again? Because these things have been wound down into the hearts of his hearers their whole life, and he's trying to take the truth of the gospel and unwind some of these things that have been taught to point to the new. And he helps us with that even in verse 18, it's not, I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but he says to them, just to set up where we're going again, he says, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside. And we read that little verse and we say, yes, set aside the, the old covenant. I, I get but for these Jews, the idea of setting aside was scary. They've grown up placing so much hope in the law and their belief that maybe we could keep the law and, and seeing this idea of the high priest. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, you don't need that anymore. Come to your greater high priest. 
says verse 18, this old command or former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. The law of God was good, but it was to point to your need for a Savior who is here. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. That's a shouting ground verse. That everything that was pictured in the Old Testament was there to point to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And to these Hebrews then and now to us, he's holding out Jesus as the ultimate priest and the ultimate keeper of a covenant that we can have a relationship with God through him. Glorious reality. Hebrews 8, 6 says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. He is the keeper. He is the surety, if you will. He's the guarantor of this relationship. The success of our relationship with God is now dependent upon Christ. He is the guarantor of a new covenant since it is enacted on better promises. So, it's a lot. So the question I want to chase for just the next few minutes coming out of this Hebrews passage is this. It's okay. How is the new covenant better? Why is it superior? Why is Jesus superior? Why can we trust in him completely for salvation, not just in the past, salvation in the present, and our salvation in the future to the uttermost? How's the new covenant better? Let me give you three big ideas that will guide us through this text this morning for the next few minutes together, okay? Number one, the new covenant is better. Big idea number one is this, Jesus is our better high priest. And he is a keeper of a better covenant because he lives forever. You have to understand the weight of this because the author of Hebrews is going to beat this drum over and over. Verse 23, he says, the former priests, again, the the tribe of Levi and the Aaronic priests who you see throughout the Old Testament. He says, every one of those priests, there were many in number. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office as priest. Translation, their priesthood was not permanent. You know why? Because they all died. They all were temporary. And he says, Aaron, as great a priest as he was, he died. And he gave his priesthood to his son Eleazar in Deuteronomy 10. Eleazar served, Eleazar died. Eleazar passed his priesthood on to his son Phineas. Phineas died. Every priest of the Old Testament died. They were all temporary. And the point that the author of Hebrews here is making to those Hebrews hearers is this. If you want to resist running to Jesus as your great high priest, that's fine. But just know you're trusting your eternity to dead men. Because they all die. The high priesthood of the Old Testament was never intended to be eternal. It was never intended to be permanent. It was temporary to point to the greater high priest who was coming. And the author of Hebrews says these high priests were prevented from continuing because they all died. But he comes to verse 24 and he says, But as opposed to those earthly high priests, you come to verse 24 and he says, But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood 
permanently. Circle that word permanently if you write in your Bible. This is a drumbeat throughout chapter 7. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues how long? Forever. The priesthood of Jesus is qualitatively, significantly, infinitely better because he is a priest forever. The, the priesthood of Jesus, he's a keeper of a better covenant because he lives forever. That's such an important concept here. You say, that's, that's why the whole reference to Melchizedek is here in chapter 7 and chapter 6 and chapter 5. I mean, let's be honest. Has anybody been reading through Hebrews a lot and you, you come to the idea of Melchizedek and you go, man, can somebody just help me figure out Melchizedek? I still had not got this guy figured out. Can you be honest? The reason Melchizedek is here, this character is here because the author of Hebrews is saying there is now an infinitely greater priest who is not of the earthly line of Aaron. He is of a totally different order. And you go all the way back to Genesis and then to Psalms, there's this character Melchizedek and the Bible presents him as having this eternal priesthood. And the point is, you need to understand, Jesus never ceases to be your high priest. He's forever. Therefore, he is able to be the guarantor of that covenant relationship, not just until he dies, not just until you die, not until you just foul up really royally forever and ever and ever because he and his priesthood is forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the point. That's the point the author of Hebrews is making here. That's the point of Psalm 110 that gets repeated over and over. David in the Psalms takes this Melchizedek idea and then points to the future high priest Jesus who is going to come. And you hear this quoted over and over. But to this one was made a priest with an oath or a promise by the one who said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest. How long? Forever. And remember the author of Hebrews, who is making a connection of the old to the new, and Jesus says, you know that guy, Melchizedek? He points to Jesus. You know that passage in Psalms 110 that David wrote about this priest that's going to be forever? He's talking about Jesus. His priesthood is infinitely and quantitatively better. Therefore, he is able to be the guarantor, the surety, the keeper of an infinitely better covenant. The point Paul takes this idea in the New Testament and he ties it to the resurrection of Jesus. In Hebrews 7, 16, not Paul, but the author of Hebrews says, He, Jesus, has become a high priest, not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent. In other words, not because he's a descendant of Aaron, but by the power of an indestructible life. Why is Jesus able to have a priesthood that goes on forever? The New Testament ties it to the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so does the Apostle Paul. Romans 5 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Meaning, the priesthood of Jesus is infinitely better Therefore, his ability to maintain the covenant is infinitely better because he's the only one who ever defeated death and he lives forever. That's resurrection life. That's resurrection life that is now to our benefit 
because our high priest lives forever. The ministry of Jesus as high priest has no temporal limits. It is not limited by death. He cannot be touched by death since his resurrection demonstrates that he shares the very eternal life of God himself. He lives forever. So one of the points the author of Hebrews is making to give us infinite confidence and hope that is to be an anchor of our soul is this high priest Jesus who you come to in faith and trust his priesthood lasts forever because he lives forever and he is able to be the guarantor of a covenant between you and God forever and ever and ever amen Big idea number two. How's the new covenant better? It's better because of the nature of Jesus. He's eternal. The new covenant is better for another reason. Jesus is our better high priest and keeper of a better covenant because he intercedes forever. The present intercessory work of Jesus, the author makes a huge deal about this here, and I want you to see this. Verse 24, he says, But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And then he goes on to verse 25 and he says, let me, let me tell you the implications of this. What this means in your daily life and what this means for your salvation now, what this means for your salvation in eternity is this. Verse 25, consequently, as a result, he, Jesus, is able to save And he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives, always lives, always lives. There's that eternal idea again, to make intercession for them. You ever wondered what is Jesus doing right now? I mean, what is the ministry of King Jesus right now? There's much attention, and there should be, on the fact that he has died and risen again for our justification. But what is he currently doing right now on behalf of every believer? Hebrews 7.25 tells us tells of us, his, us of his present, ongoing ministry in the presence of the Father. And again, remember, in the Hebrew mind, they, they've seen a picture of this. They've seen the earthly priest who would go in and bear the sacrifice and go in and intercede at the temple as a, as a picture of a mediator, of an intercessor. And now the author of Hebrews is coming back and saying, you have a better high priest. He never stops making intercession for you. There's not a moment that your Savior is not pleading to the Father on your behalf and standing between you and the Father in this intercessory role. Verse 25, he ever lives to make intercession for them. So what does that mean? If you have a verse that you are meditating on or a verse that you're praying through in Hebrews, there's a ton of them that I recommend. And you're not going to do better than Hebrews 7.25. Because no matter where you are in your walk and no matter what your day is broad and no matter what you're facing and no matter how you've royally blown it and no matter what you may see of yourself, Hebrews 7.25 is there as an anchor of the soul to remind you that the covenant you have with God by faith and faith alone, Jesus is the constant keeper of it. 
you are kept, you are sustained, you are held, not because of your goodness, not because of your improvement, but because of the righteous standing of Jesus. What does it mean practically that he ever lives to make intercession for us? Let me give you three things really quick. Number one, it means every moment, every second, based on Hebrews chapter 4, you are never without help. Hebrews 4, we talked about this earlier, won't take time to explain it. He talks about this high priestly role of Jesus again. And he says, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Therefore, there's no challenge set before you spiritually. There's no temptation you face. There's no area of growth that he's calling to you to. There's no commandment that he calls you to. There's nothing you face as a child of God now, ever, that help is not available through your high priest, whoever lives and is making intercession before the throne of the Father right now. Ever. So no retreat, no excuses. Say, I'm not sure I can endure. I'm not sure I can sustain this thing. You don't sustain it, he does. There's not a moment that you are without help from the very throne of God. Secondly, we are secure in Christ There is a security of our faith and of this covenant in Christ. Let me assure you of something, beloved. If you are by faith trusting in Christ and Christ alone, you are not in a contract with God that says, if I do my part, he'll do his part. That is a contract, and that is not the language of the gospel. The gospel is, he has done it all because you are unable. Run to him. Run to him. And his intercession is a constant reality of keeping us in Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Paul helps us with this. He says, who is the one who condemns? As a child of God, you ever felt condemned? You ever heard the voices of condemnation? The enemy hurling them at you? He says, who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, lives forever. Who is at the right hand of God? What's he doing? Interceding for us, Romans 8, 34. Who therefore will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Will tribulation, will distress, will persecution, will famine, will nakedness, will peril, will sword, on and on and on. The point is this, what or who can separate the true child of God from the love of God and being in Christ? No one. Watch this, not even you. Not even you. Keeps us. Now to him who is able to keep us, Jude says. 
and present us blameless before the Father. Who does that? Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant. There is not a moment you are without help. There is not a moment you are not completely secure in Christ because of the intercessory work of Christ. And thirdly and quickly, there's not a moment you do not have a righteous advocate before the Father on your behalf. Let me tell you the implications of this. 1 John 2 says, John writing, he says, My little children, and this verse is not on the screen, just listen. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, listen, as the child of God, we hate our sin. We long for sin to be gone from our lives, but the residue of sin is in our lives. We know that. It's a constant struggle. We are fighting this thing called sin, but we hate it. He says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, which you will We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You cannot sin your way out of the presence of God because you are in Christ. You say, Pastor Mike, you better be careful with this because... That sounds like you're just giving us license to sin. If you take the grace of God that is presented here and the security we have in Christ no matter what, and it motivates you to sin, you better check if you're in Christ at all. We struggle with it. And the intercessory work of Jesus is this presence in the presence of the Father that no matter what we have done, we hate it, the residue of sin. Don't you run and go try to hide it yourself. Don't you play that game of Adam and Eve who tried to cover their own sin. You run to your advocate who is in the presence of the Father. Jesus, the righteous one. Your better high priest who is the promise of a better covenant. So he says this intercessory work is of his present work before the Father, but that's not all. There's more here. This is just glorious, verse 25. Not only does he talk about his present ministry of Jesus, quickly he talks about our future glory. So how far is he going to take this covenant thing? Where's this covenant thing going to culminate that we're in because of Christ and his work? He says, verse 25, consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save, next phrase, mark in your Bible, star it, whatever you need to do, to the uttermost. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him and him alone. To the uttermost. Study this phrase. To do a word study on this. Meditate on this phrase. It's this little Greek word, telos. And that word is pulled all the way through Hebrews. Often it's translated perfect, complete, fullness. The word telos has the idea of completion. It's to bring to the end of something. It has the idea of of here, yes, Jesus will carry us all the way through to the end, to the uttermost. But it also has the idea here that God, in Christ, will complete his purpose for you 
in your life. Now, I'm not talking name it and claim it where you say, well, I want God to do this and I can stand on the promises. He's going to do whatever I want. No, something better. God's eternal purpose for every one of his children is this. Jesus prayed it. Jesus died for it. Jesus stands as your intercessor to assure that it's going to take place. This is not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. You can write it down. John 17, Jesus, the night before he's going to be crucified, is praying a high priestly prayer to the Father. And you say, what are his prayers to the Father like right now? Well, we get a little glimpse in John 17. It says this, John 17, 17. Jesus praying to the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, speaking of his disciples then, you read on in John 17, it's talking about us. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. And 1 John says, when we see him, we will be made like him. The point is that God will perfect. He will tell us. He will bring you to completion. He will most assuredly make every one of his children like his son Jesus forever and ever and ever. He has determined it to be so. And the intercessory work of Jesus is getting us to that point gradually. But one day when Jesus fully returns, listen, child of God, you're going to be made perfect like Jesus. He will finish what he started in you. I said, Pastor Mike, you probably don't know the week I had. You don't know the struggles I had. I didn't accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish. I didn't achieve everything I wanted to achieve. achieve. You run to your high priest who says he stands before the Father ever living, making intercession for you and he is committed to save you to the uttermost, to the telos. He will finish what he starts in you. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Run to your high priest. How is the new covenant better? New covenant's better because Jesus lives forever. The new covenant's better because he continually is making intercession right now for you and me and those who draw near to him in faith. Finally, we'll wrap it up with this. The new covenant is better. Jesus is our better high priest and is keeper of a better covenant because he, Jesus, has been made perfect forever. The author of Hebrews is going to compare the imperfections and the sinfulness of the Aaronic priest, all those that came before Jesus, and then he's going to juxtapose Jesus as perfect, sinless. And he gives these words and stack upon stack and line upon line about the character of Jesus, beginning of verse 26. He says this, for indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. What kind of high priest? Holy, innocent, unstained, 
Remember those terms that are necessary in the mind of the Jew to ever enter into the presence of God. Holiness, innocence, unstained with sin. Jesus lived a life of 33 years on the earth. He took on flesh and he walked among us without sin. Perfect. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. How much greater is the new covenant? The writer of Hebrews says here, only a sinless, holy, innocent high priest can keep, secure, and guarantee this covenant relationship. We have an infinitely greater covenant because we have an infinitely greater high priest. Verse 27, he, Jesus, has no need. It's not like those priests of old to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He's reminding you, those high priests, they were limited by death and they were limited by their own sin. They were mere men. Jesus has no need to die for his own sins and then for the earth to offer for his own sins and then of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Man, what a verse. No more lambs, no more sheep, no more sacrifices. He offered up himself as the ultimate sacrifice. How much better or greater is the new covenant? Only an infinite, perfect, suitable sacrifice can pay our sin debt and cover our sin. You have an infinitely superior high priest in Jesus. This passage is in my mind, and I'm thinking, why do we, as God's people, why are we called to go to our neighbors and take the message to the nations? Because we have an infinitely superior high priest who is the guarantor of an infinitely better covenant. You can proclaim everything necessary for you to be made right with God has been fully paid by our great high priest, Jesus, who rose from the dead, and he lives forever to keep the covenant between you and God. Proclaim it. Declare it. Verse 27. He, Jesus, has no need like these high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since this he died once for all to offer up himself. So I want to ask the team to come on up. We're going to move into a time of response. I want you to check out. We're not finished. Then he comes to verse 28 and he wraps it up. The author of Hebrews says this, For the law, old covenant, appoints men in their weaknesses to be high priests. But the word of the oath, this promise, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is able to save forever. Now before we pray, I want to give you one last closing illustration, then we're going to pray and we're going to be done. It's a picture in the Old Testament of the high priest when they would enter into the temple offering sacrifice for the sins of the people. The high priest would enter in and he would wear a breastplate. And on that breastplate, there were 12 stones, and those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they were close to his heart, and he loved them, and that was the work of the priest. And at the same time, he would wear something called an ephod, and he would lay this ephod on his shoulder, and he would carry that in. And on that ephod, 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel. And you say, Pastor Mike, that's really cool, but what's the point of that? 
in that picture is the nature of the priesthood. That the priest has the names of his people close to his heart. And with that ephod over his shoulder, it is the picture of strength to intercede and to save those whom he serves. Except there was one problem. The Old Testament high priests were not able to save. But it is pointing to one who would come later. That your great high priest right now at this moment ever lives making intercession for you. And you're on his heart because of his love. But not only is he willing to save, he is able to save. Because he is your sinless, eternal high priest who laid down his own life. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for this just glorious truth. God, help us in our weaknesses. Lord, help us to take these truths and may we leave different. Or may we leave on mission, carrying this message of our great high priest, our Savior, to the ends of the earth for your glory. We love you. It's in his name we pray.